This is Phantom Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air for the first time with Eileen Santos. Welcome to the Phantom Electric Ghost podcast. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you. We want to let people know we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see that icon up there. It says listen on Newsly. After the podcast, we will be available on audio on the Newsly platform as a featured podcast on their platform. Use coupon code GHOST to get one month free premium subscription so you can stop scrolling and start listening. Again, Fam Electric Ghost is a featured podcast on Newsly. And again, thank you for being on the program. This is actually episode, um, I believe, 923 of the podcast. We've been on, on Apple Podcasts since 2016. This is episode 923. And we're going to talk about in this episode, thriving and surviving after abuse. Yeah, that's perfect. Thriving and surviving after an abusive relationship. So you have a BA in criminology uh, from John Jay, and you've been immersed in the crime community since uh, age five, based on your your, um, information, your bio. And you've been passionate about tr- topics of uh, true crime and been an educator and a survivor on AR. And um, we have your link below. Uh, we'll let people know on the audio podcast that it's excites.libsin.com forward slash 413-645 forward slash site. So, yeah, we want to talk to you about um, your, your, your abusive relationship, how you want to talk about how it's affected you and what you've been able to do to overcome it. And why did you get into podcasting? So maybe we start with the beginning. Okay. So I'm going to bring you back to the Genesis. Um, first and foremost, um, I'm Aileen Santos and I speak about it on my podcast, which is murder, blood and psychopaths. And I remember I got into this abusive relationship when I was about 17 going into 18, I was, uh, graduating high school And this wasn't something that my parents modeled. Like this wasn't something that I grew up seeing. My mom was never abused and I didn't see this growing up. So it wasn't something that was modeled Mm. in my home. My mom was married to my father. So it was, they had a wholesome relationship for the most part. And I remember when I was about uh, 17 years old, I needed a job. I had to pay for my prom and my graduation. And I remember I got a job at McDonald's and I remember I was, um, I was turning 18. It was the summer and I was excited because I had a summer job and I'm going into college. So I definitely needed the money for college. And, um, I remember I was going to Monroe college to study criminal psychology. And then I met this gentleman, um, and his name was Nathan And, um, that's not his real name, by the way, but Nathan, for the sake of an argument, um, I met him and I was older than him by a few months. And I remember him and I, we got to talking. I really liked this gentleman and the red flags, they weren't quite there just yet. And then I remember, um, we were young. Then we started this summer romance. And I remember for the very first time, I started to feel like he was like suffocating me Mm -hmm. because he stopped working at McDonald's. I should have known that was a red sign. Couldn't keep a job. And the thing is that I didn't look at that as me to leave. But then um, he told me that he got another job. So I was excited for him. And we started this whole summer romance and he would pick me up at my job like at night to make sure that I was going home. But it got to the point that it just felt like it was just unsolicited at times. And it felt like he was just stalking me. And finally, when um, a coworker brought it up to my attention and he was like, Eileen, you know, that's not normal. Like he's calling the job and you guys only been talking since like July. And we are still like maybe like almost going into August and this shouldn't happen. And especially if you're if this is a new person. And to me, I'm young. I didn't I didn't think of it in that way because my supposedly uh, guy that I really liked, Nathan, he told me, oh, that guy just likes you. And he was just sort of like um, making sense, at least to me. So I'm like, oh, probably that's what it was. And then it just it gradually started where it was like the verbal abuse. 
And he started isolating me from family and friends. He started speaking ill about my best friend. I had this best friend that we were like inseparable. And he just told me, oh, she's pregnant. Like he started demonizing her. Like you don't, you don't want to surround yourself with someone like that. And he used a lot of religion because here he is a Christian man. And he used religion to punish mm -hmm. me. And he's like, oh, um, God would be disappointed in you if you hung out with people like them. So it really, he really started eating at my brain and I'm a person that I'm, I'm smart. Um, I just, I got into it and I don't, I can't tell you how, right. And it just, it started that way. And I started listening to him and then it be, and then it just one day, everything culminated. And in my lobby, um, one day we met, we actually made plans to go out to eat. And um, we met downstairs and I remember um, something was going on with my hair and he didn't like something about my hair. And I remember that was the first time I got punched. Mm. He soccer punched me in the lobby of my building. Wow. And I remember going like, oh my God, like I've never, I didn't know how to feel. Like I, I felt like wow. you know. this never happened to me. I didn't know how to yeah. react. So to me, it was like, it was a shock. Yeah, it was a shock. And I remember going to myself like, okay, this is not normal. But then again, he started apologizing to me and he started like, oh my God, like, I'm sorry, honey. Like, I'm sorry I did that to you. You made me lose control. Mm -hmm. And you know what's crazy is that I really started to believe that it was oh, my so he fault. put it on you? He was and trying. I never told my so he, mom and I thought... So I guess I was trying to ask, he kind of put it on you. What was that? I'm so. What I'm sad. saying is he put the blame on you for his own action. Yeah, he put it and on. And then me. you didn't think to maybe call the police or do anything because yeah. then he 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 was playing with your head. So he he kind of put it on you, which is the ten tendency of abusers yeah. is them anything that happens is your fault. So then they try to you know keep it you from putting it on them. Yeah. Exactly. You know, they, they deflect and then it's like, it doesn't matter if you're smart, like it really abusive relationships, they don't discriminate. Like you can be the smartest person, have a high mm -hmm. IQ and you can be even like, if not physically abused, like you have the financial abuse and then you have like the, like to me, what was more detrimental was never really like him putting his hands on me. Like it was never the physical, it was the emotional. And it was just a lot of things that he would tell me like, oh, you're stupid. And these, yeah, it's really psychological. And he would, I couldn't even uphold the conversation because he's like, oh, look at you, you're dumb. And it would, it would just like, like it would make me feel like really small. And I really started to believe mm -hmm. it. And I, this wasn't something that I wanted to share with my family because I was ashamed. Mm -hmm. I was really ashamed to even, I never knew how to even ask for help. And I remember like my mom never even knew that I was in an abusive relationship until once one day I came with bruises mm. on me and I couldn't lie anymore. I couldn't explain it. And I had to tell my mom, like, mom, like, and I was crying. I was like, I'm in this relationship and he abuses me and this is what he does. And my mom, my mom, like, of course she was upset with me, but she was, she was trying to like, do what moms do. And my mom really tried to protect mm -hmm. me. But it was just, even though he was like horrible to me, I still felt like he still had these like trauma bonding experiences where like you have these unhealthy, like mm -hmm. um, these unhealthy boundaries and attachments with your abuser. Yeah, codependency. And even though they're abusing you, they have these like crumbs that they leave where they treat you nice. And you, you tend to fixate on the nice because mm -hmm. you're like, wow, like I love when he's nice to me and I love when he's sweet and your mind tends to like rationalize and keep you there. And it's only like buttering you up for the next abuse. Did you feel like you could and fix? It didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter. Like, did, did you feel like you could fix yeah. what was wrong that you saw some good in him and you thought you could fix it or you were kind of fixated on maybe the problem was you and you kept on thinking, well, I can, I can get better. And then he won't do this anymore. I think it was both. Like, I felt like as women, like we have like a bad habit of trying to fix men and fix was broken. And especially me, it was my first relationship. This was someone I lost my virginity to. 
And I'm thinking, holy shit, like maybe I can fix him. Um, and, and maybe it is my fault. But then I will also have like these moments where like, I felt like it isn't your fault because there will be times where I really didn't do anything. Like we would just be walking in the streets and he would hit me because he's like, oh, this person is staring at you. Um, oh, you like this person. And he would like taunt me. And it was just like one of those like abuse that you just, you wanted it to end, but you just didn't know how to get out of it. And I was really young. I was 18 mm -hmm. and he was my first boyfriend. So of course I'm like, maybe I can fix him. And I got pregnant thinking that I can fix oh, him. Wow. You know, I, it happened, got pregnant. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was happy cause I was going to be a mom. And I thought to myself, like, maybe this abuse is going to end once I become pregnant. And I was mistaken. It didn't abuse, like the abuse didn't get better. It got worse. Mm -hmm. It got worse. And he hit me when I was pregnant. One time we were supposed to go out to eat. And when you're pregnant, like, especially me, I didn't want to do my hair. Like I didn't, I was being a like, I wanted to be lazy. Like I wanted to just go out in sweats, mm -hmm. have my hair in a bun. Like I'm, I just, I'm hungry. And I remember what he's like, oh, you're going to go out like that. And I go, yeah, like what's wrong? And he's like, well, we're not going out like that. Like fix your hair. And I'm like, dude, like my hair is in a bun and there's not much I can do with my hair. And I remember he grabbed the brush and he tried to like comb my hair and he punched me. And I remember I went like this and I was on the floor. I was in fetal position because I was already like, I want to say like four or five months I was showing. And I remember I was in a fetal position in the bathroom and he was like over me and he was just, he was yelling at me and I can't remember the things that he was saying. And I remember like it stopped and all of a sudden I remember I'm praying to God. I'm like, God, please like, let this, let this end. He comes back with a knife and he puts it to me and to my stomach. And he says these like words to me and he's like, it's, it's you or him. And he, and he's like getting really graphic and he tells me, and this is like a warning if you guys don't want to hear this, but he told me this as I'm on the floor because I'm in pain and he's like, don't, if you don't get up from this floor, do not make me stomp this baby out of you and crush his skull. I remember he said in those words, and I remember thinking like, this is horrible because you just found out that we were having a boy. Right. And you were happy that we were having a boy. It's your first, it's your first kid. I'm going to be a first time mom. And I just remember saying like, God, this can't be my life. This can't be my life. And it doesn't get better. The abuse just got worse. And of course my mom, like she urged me to leave the relationship. And I was always trying. Cause I'm like, I'm having a kid um, with this man. And I never wanted to leave my kid without a father. But again, this is me putting it on myself, not acknowledging my trauma and just always acknowledging him and putting him forward. And it just, like I said, things just got worse. It didn't get better. And eventually I didn't, I didn't keep the baby. I lost the baby. My son, um, my son was eventually born like six months after, um, the baby was born prematurely and, um, in the hospital, they had to keep me under observation because the night that him and I had a bad argument, I remember like my water ruptured mm. and I remember fluid coming down and I'm like, it's too early for me to, to give birth. And like I said, I'm a first time mom. I don't know what this means. And my mom, I remember I'm calling her and my mom is a school teacher and I'm panicking because water's coming down and it doesn't have a good smell. And I'm like, hey, mom, um, there's um, something's wrong with me. Like I'm I'm feeling wet and I already showered. Like I don't I don't know what's going on. And my mom was like, oh, my God, like um, call that ambulance because you're 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 going into labor like your 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 um, thing broke. And I was like, my water broke. And I'm like, I'm only six months. OK, so I call they um, they they get me hospitalized. They get me with the IV. And the doc the physicians are telling me we need to keep you. Um, it's too early for your baby to come. So we have to keep you in the hospital because we have to now prolong the pregnancy. And um, doctors did what they um, could, honestly. Um, 
And I had nurses that knew the, what was going on, urging me, like, don't let this man into your room. He's going to bring you and your baby harm. And they gave me services for me to go to, like, shelters um, for women that were in, an, in abusive relationships like this. And, of course, again, this is me trying to see the good in him. And um, what happened next is he came into my hospital room and I remember um, he got angry with me because I was reading a Dan Brown book, Angels and Demons. And remember, he's a so he's Christian and this goes against his belief. So he went in the room. He was furious and angry with me. And I remember he um, he threw my he grabbed my book, threw it across the room. And I remember in the hospital room with security outside and nurses and, and everyone, he hit me. And I remember, um, I remember just screaming and the nurses came and security came and they escorted him out. And I remember the very next day I was having bad contractions and, um, they told me like the baby is coming and they were, they were monitoring everything and they're like, the baby's coming. And I remember I had to have an emergency C-section. Um, and unfortunately he was there of course, again, right? He was there. He saw the birth of the baby. The baby was born. The baby was um, was healthy for the most part. And the thing is that um, I, I was able to name my son. His name was Josiah, named him after the Bible. And 16 days after, because he was premature, um, his lungs didn't develop. So my son ended up not making it. And I remember um, being angry and mad at God because I'm like, um, why would you do this? And years later, I understood that it needed to be done because I was never going to leave this man. And it's unfortunate, but I'm healed. This is something I could talk about. I've been going to therapy um, and I'm what going to be 35 in September. Um, and this is something that I can talk about. Um, and I'm okay um, saying that um, I I know the reason why, you know, and um, and it had to happen because, like I said, I wasn't going to leave this man. And God knows that I didn't want my son to think that it was okay to, to act like this towards not only women, but like men or just women. And I never wanted my kid to grow up thinking that this was okay behavior, you know, and I finally understood it, but like I said, it, it took time. It happened gradually. I was with him maybe for two years and that was the last straw. That was the time that I was like, you know what? Enough was enough. Um, and I decided to end the relationship and I would love to tell you that it ended there, but it didn't end there because the last time I saw him, he tried to kill me. And I remember he came to my house. My son had already passed away and he tried to leverage like a meetup with him and I, cause he's like, oh, I got Josiah's uh, death certificate. And he, and he knew what that meant to me. And I wanted that. So of course I'm like, okay, you can come bring it at my mom's house. And I gave him the chance to come to my mom's house to bring me the death certificate. And I let him come in. And as I'm opening the door, he grabbed me and he choked me. And I remember running to my room and I remember I'm in, I'm in bed and he, and he follows me. He's like running after me. And I remember his grip getting strong, like on my neck. And I remember just all the images flashing right, right in my, like right before my eyes. And I thought that was a myth, but it, it really happens. And I remember just seeing everything. And I remember asking God, like, is this how my life is going to be? Am I supposed to die here? Like, but I felt like something was telling me, you have to fight. You have to fight. This is, this is not where you die. And I remember his grip got, it got like, um, as I'm losing like oxygen and I couldn't breathe, I remember his grip was loosened. And I remember like, I can get out. I can get out. And I don't know how I made it to the phone. And I was able to make a, a phone call to my mom because my mom lived uh, like two blocks away. And I'm like, mom, call 911. He's here. He's trying to kill me. 
And I remember he didn't even chase me. He was in my room and he was just frozen. And we didn't say anything. And my mom came rushing. And the only thing I remember was he rushed right past her. And I think I saw him one other time. And that was the last time I've ever saw him again. Um, He's tried to make contact with me on social media, trying to be a horrible person. But I don't I didn't let it get to me because I'm like, you know what? I, my faith is strong. I'm stronger now. And his abuse doesn't do anything to me right now. And literally, I became a school teacher and I went to John Jay, got my bachelor's in criminal psychology. I was able to make it to the dean's list. I had a daughter two, two years after, not with him. And I was able to um, to pick up my life and um, and deal with the trauma. I didn't go into therapy shortly after. It took me a long time to get into therapy. I want to say three years. I've been into therapy now and it's the best thing I've done. And I've also been on a spiritual healing. And I'm here to tell you guys, like, this is my testimony. And if you guys want to listen to more, you guys can listen to it on my podcast because a lot of more things happen. But, you know, um, that's that's my testimony for you guys. And you know, we can all move from abusive relationships. We don't need to stay there, guys. Like we can pick it up. We can pick up the pieces and you can sometimes family, they're there to support you. And sometimes some people, um, you become overwhelmed with, I guess, like people that's never uh, dealt with that and they judge you. And a lot of people leave your side because it happened. A lot of people left my side. But it's not something that I blame people for doing. It's not something that I ever judged anyone for doing because I understand, you know, this was something I needed to do on my own. And with the grace of God, I was able to to do it, to thrive and to get up and, and leave. And this is my story, guys. Well, I think a lot of people need to have empathy because I think there's a problem with a lack of empathy uh, to, for a lot of people. You know, and, and the thing is, that's very interesting. And he was proclaiming that he was a Christian and doing very unchristian, like, you know, evil things, you know, to, to, to treat your the mother or your child and beat her and and probably cause the situation with your, your child uh, being born early. It's all like his fault. It's nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what he was doing. And, and that, you know, oh. yeah, it just seems like totally... What you see in this world, you see a lot of like abusive relationships, like at a microcosm level, like individuals, right? And then you see general society at a macrocosm not understanding, you know, police officers not giving support to domestic violence and abusive relationships, like coming to a call and then allowing the abuser to, the abuser to still be there, right? Not supporting people by giving them the resources they oh, need. Yeah not making it easy for you to try to report it. Anyone sympathizing with their abuser, there's a, there's a lot of things going on where, you know, people, you know, that are abusers, people say, well, they, they can, they should still have a right to have a gun. Like why, why would you give somebody that does violence the right to have a gun? They could end up killing somebody, you know, and there's no sensitivity. And so what I try to bring to the show is, you, people need to have some empathy and, and listen to what your story is and not just have some kind of judgment. You need to hear what you just said, you know, for the last 20 minutes, you've talked, you know, testified to your situation. And I think people need to look at that. And then if they can't understand that, they can't have empathy. There's, there's something wrong with society. Yeah, because it's like even having this conversation, you would think that like the laws improved and things like that. And it's like, don't get me wrong. Like, of course, we've we've at least we're making some waves and we're having a conversation because before it was like something that was a spousal. And I remember I covered an episode um with this woman. Her name was Francine Hughes, and she lived this abuse in the 70s and, and the 80s, and her husband abused her. And the system never protected her. She law enforcement and they literally like left this man into the in the apartment because they're like, well, this should stay between a spouse. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the reason it got attention is because she burned the bed he was in. And I don't think her intention was to murder him, but enough is enough. Yeah. Like, and, and I've gotten to that point where I also thought of also killing him. But this was something about me. I was like, well, I'm a woman of color. This is a uh, New York city. There is no stand your ground or, yeah. or self-defense. Yeah. And it's like, I know I would be, I would go behind bars. Yeah. No, no so support. this woman, as she's experiencing this abuse, right. And there was no support. And, um, and I remember like this woman, like she ended up killing her husband. There was like a, there was a whole trial and she had an amazing lawyer that advocated for her. And they're like, there's a lot of women with stories like yours. You need to tell your story because it is not unique, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of women that are being abused and it should never be behind closed doors. Like we need help. Like this is a real problem. And when she got on the stand to, to tell her story, it was like everyone had empathy. Everyone was like, wow, like this man, like just the abuse and everything that he did to her. I was like, I can definitely, I know where she's coming from because many times you can, you can be eating and it's just like, Anything can trigger this mm -hmm. person and they can just hit you. They can throw something at you. And it's like, it's, it, it's just so, it's just so like demeaning to you. I remember for a long time, I couldn't smile. Like I had this tooth right here from so many blows, like turned black. I have pictures. I think maybe two, three years ago is when I decided to, to fix my smile because for a long time I couldn't mm -hmm. smile because I, I kept trying to protect my, my pregnancy and people were mean about it online. They're like, Oh, you should, you should fix your smile. Like it looks ugly when you smile. And to me, it was like, this was me like a marker in my, in my, like on me, a reminder that I didn't fully protect my son, how I should have. And this was just something that, that stood like as a reminder to me. And it, it, it wasn't easy. You know, it was, it was never easy, but people can be mean. And even if you don't understand it, there's many times where people say, oh, um, that can't, that could never be me. Oh, if I was in this situation, oh, yeah. you never know. Uh -uh. I mean, how people, it's, you freeze when it's, you, you never know, because like the chemistry between people, you could assume because you never met that person, right? That no one could ever affect you in such a way that you could yeah. end up being in a codependent relationship, right? That you could end up in an abusive relationship. You could end up with a, a, a narcissist, yeah. right? Like an abusive narcissist. And you could get tied into yeah, it because, you know, what people don't believe, like, look at Jonestown. I mean, look look at the Heaven's Gate. People get who were PhDs yeah. got pulled into Jonestown. People with MBAs. People yeah. got the PhD, you know, they get pulled into cults yeah. because there's this narcissistic leader yeah. that can, can actually disarm you. And so there's a lot mm -hmm. of psychology. There's a lot of so sociology that, yeah. you know, until you meet that person, you have no idea how you might respond. So it's very, you know, people have to be more empathetic in my opinion. And it's why I do this show. Cause I've talked to a lot of people um, that have, you know, stories about, being in abusive relationships or dealing with narcissists. And, you know, a lot of times there's a like victim blaming in a society today, there's a lot of victim blaming. There's a lot of people that are trying to roll things back oh, yeah. to where they felt comfortable. And there's a lot of bullies that are bullying different groups, oh. you know, to build bullying women, mm -hmm. taking women's rights away, bullying minorities, taking minorities rights away to the point where, you know, Eventually, there's this case in front of the Supreme Court that says the government took away the right for a domestic violence abuser to have a gun. And because some people think the gun is so important, they think that you should give the gun back to that person because they think the gun is more important than somebody's safety. No. And that's where the world is today. We got a bunch of bullies right. who are trying to force things to go back to the 1940s. And so people need to be aware that, oh, yeah. that, that there are people who don't empathize, that want to scapegoat, want to gaslight, want to not care. And, but, you know, for, for all those people that do that, there are people who do care yeah. and do want to hear and do want to be advocates and want to know how they can help people who are in that kind of situation.
Oh, yeah, for sure. And I felt like, because this is why I really, like, started the podcast, because I'm like, wow, like, my story, I know it's not unique, um, but my story is unique to me, and I and I wanted to give people the chance of, like, to to tell us about what it looked like, because everyone's abusive relationships are very different. And I literally, um, I've covered like other, um, people's, um, abusive relationships that honestly, they didn't get to live to tell it and their family members, honestly, you become a martyr to your cause. And I've seen family members advocate for better laws. And I'm like, wow, there's always like at least a little bit of lightning at the ending of the tunnel, you know, but I, I'm really fortunate, honestly, to tell my story because many people don't survive. Mm -hmm. And it's like, even if you don't understand it, like try not to be mean to someone else's story. Like, honestly, if it's, it's fine. Like you, you may have never been in an abusive relationship. It's okay. Like I said, this wasn't something that was modeled in my home. Like I didn't grow up seeing this, you know, um, my mom, she was married to my father and my mom even, as she, my dad and her, they got a divorce. My mom never allowed any partner to give her any BS. If anything, my mom would probably scare the guys away because my mother was like a no nonsense. Yeah. Um, but my mom really did. Like, she helped me. And my mom, like, as and she gave me the tough love because I'm Latina. My mother, my mother was like, oh, you stupid. You keep going back. But I understood that my mom had tough love. So I had to understand mm -hmm that this was my mother loving me as, as, as horrible as that is <laughs> like, she's calling me like dumb. And this, that, and the third is like, my mom never wanted me to, to, to get into this relationship. My mom had high hopes. My mom was like, you're going to go to college. Um, my aunt, she went to Harvard law school and my mom was like, you're like her, like, and they, and my mom knew my mom was like, you're, you're a college girl. Like you're, you're, you keep your head in the books. Like, how did you even manage to get into something like this? And I'm like, mom, I don't, I can't tell you. I just really can't tell you how it happened. It just did, you know, but I'm alive. And it's just something that I, I tell people like, please, if your friend is in one, hold this person's hand. They don't, they don't mean to keep going back. Yeah. They don't, but the more you put, like, what we don't understand is that the the person that they have, if you leave their side, what who else is going to help them with their escape plan? Like, they need you. And I understand it's frustrating because your friend keeps going back to this a-hole. But they don't mean to just stay there. I promise you. They need that support. And eventually something's going to click. And they're going to leave, you know? And yeah. that's what happened. And I was able to rekindle my friendship with my best friend because... My best friend had her family and I understand like my best friend, she was amazing. And she was like my therapist after I got out of the relationship. And I, I found healing. <clears throat> I found some kind of healing, you know? Well, I think what's, what's so uh, really hard is, you know, there's a lot of people they have all these judgments. You know, when I was in college, I actually worked at a legal defense fund clinic. They actually did protection uh, orders for women in domestic violence situations. And we had to be very understanding because we get a call from somebody saying they want the protection order. And then like, you know, the next yeah. day or even a couple hours later, they try to revoke it because they were in that kind of, we'd see the kind of up and down. We could, we were working in the, in the place trying to help people and yeah. we could see, and we couldn't judge. We didn't judge if somebody came yeah. calls back and said they want to remove it, but we would still try to keep them on the line to convince them to keep it. Right. Because we, we are trying to be advocates to understand yeah. and not go and say, well, they you know, what are you doing? And I start yelling at them, but, you know, learn how to understand the situation they're in. And it's a very complex psychological situation where, you know, people are, have, have a lot of things that, yeah. that can put themselves in that situation. When you understand the psychology of it, you can have issues when you were younger, that you had tr truths, you had beliefs that you thought were true. Somebody could have told you you're not going to be anything or you could have feel like insecure. And then the person who is like the narcissist can deal with that insecurity in a very manipulative way. And so they, they hit all the pressure points in the right way and they kind of keep you there. And until you have somebody that understands what's going on, you got to oh. have people who, who can try to help you with protection orders or help you get to the, the, the shelters. And we try to get people into shelters and then they book themselves out of the shelter. And so it's like it's like every week we'd have to deal with 
the kind of back and forth. Yeah. And sometimes we'd have a success story where somebody got all the way out. But a lot of times they kept on going back and forth. Yeah. And I can honestly speaking on that, like that was me. Like I, I would literally like, uh, put like order of protection against him and then I'll drop it. But you know where my head space was is a lot of times these guys, they know where you, where your family lives so they can threaten you. And sometimes a lot of times if you have kids with them, they can threaten your kids, they can threaten your family. So many times they can mentally like keep mm -hmm. you there. So this is why, like, that 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 was me all day, like, going to the police department, you know, uh, getting my order of protection. He'll get arrested, then I'll drop it, um, trying to be understanding. But he was, like, he kept me there mentally, like, like fucked. It was just mm -hmm. like, um, oh, I know where, you're, where your sister lives. I'll make sure to do this. So it, and, and trust me, I had, like, some law enforcement that, thank God, like, they were, they would be understanding and they'll tell me, like, it's not going to change. But I was only 18, mm -hmm. like... I'm a teenager. This was my first relationship. So yeah. I don't, I don't. Yeah. Right. And I, like batter women syndrome is yeah, real. real thing. And they, and he kept me there, you know? And it was just like, it's a real thing. Like it really is. It's not made up. And unless you're in that situation, that's the only way you'll know. And if you love this person, you think that you're going to save them. You're like, I, like you think that the love that you have for this person is going to be enough to change them. It never is. Not kids. Oh, not me. You, you were pregnant and he was still attacking you. So they're kind of, they're, you know, the the kind of consideration or like most men, if they're going to be a decent man, you know, you know, you're not supposed to ever hit a woman. And, you know, if you're, if your woman's pregnant, why would you ever hit her? You're of supposed course. to defend her. So that right there is broken in this person. They've got exactly. a broken concept and, oh. and they're doing all this. They probably hate themselves, but you know, instead of killing themselves, they, they, they do all this outward attacking, you know, and it's usually they're, 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 they're self-destructive, but a lot of times they take other people with them. Um, and so they, they, you know, in some cases, like oh, yeah. you see all this outward attacking of other people, but they're doing self-destructive stuff already because of, you know, they're in this narcissistic, really dangerous place. And it's, it, you know, you want to probably try to help them because you see they're in pain. You can probably see the pain that's in that person, but they're just, they're just toxic. You know, it's, it's hard to deal with of somebody course. that's toxic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, what's the crazy part is his, his father was an amazing person. Like his father, if anything, told me to get out of the relationship. He's like, listen, my son does drugs. He's not good for you. And he steals. Like his father told me he even had a stepmom because his mother passed away. And I was trying to be understanding like, oh, your mom passed away. Like, I'm sorry. Um, I also, um, lost someone. Um, but I lost my aunt to murder and I, I, I think, um, his mom, I believe, I don't know if she had like a heart attack. She was young and I felt like, um, maybe I'm here to maybe help him heal. Maybe we can heal each other. I lost someone and you lost your mom, mm -hmm. but that's the thing. It, it wasn't, it was, I was, I was mistaken. And his brother, he had a brother, his brother did not share these ideologies. No one did. It was just, it was him. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just like so shocked. Like, how is it that that your father is not this way, or even your your other brothers and sisters, they're not this way, but you turned out this way. But yeah, I don't your know. People's, you know, and everyone grew up in the same household, so yeah, everyone almost had the same upbringing. Yeah, the trajectory of where people go, you know, within a family, you know, this is why people get, you know, because a lot of times in, in in domestic violence or abusive relationships, you know, it can be the father on the kid or the uncle or the grandparent or somebody and people can be in the structure and they think everything's fine and there's all this stuff happening. And so there are people that have masks or they seem to be one thing or they're not that thing, or you can't really predict from the whole structure of the family that everybody's going to be the same way. But some people make assumptions. So, well, this is a good family. And then somebody gets stuck in an abusive relationship right. because this person's a respected right. person. So then they can't, no one's ever going to touch them because they're respected or they don't, con they can't conceive they could ever do that. And so then right. you don't get any help. 
because they've they're putting right. out this outward vibe. Oh, that can't be, and you know, and then you're then you're suffering. Exactly. And it's like, even with him, like, I remember, like, um, he even reached out to me. I know, like, um, eventually he got he left me alone. Thank God. Um, he left me alone and he was in a relationship. He um, he had a son and a daughter, I believe. And he named um, my son uh, the same name as our son, Josiah. And um, I remember me personally, like, I remember I let everything go. And I remember just even praying for him and healing for him. And I remember he like um sent like a a picture via Instagram of like a mo a time like when him and I were like together, and I'm like, dude, like I'm in my thirties, like this was a picture of like you abusing me, like. And then the caption was like, oh yeah, these were the best times of my life, and I'm like, what? Really? And then I'm like, well, that's when I like cursed him out, <laughs> and then he's like, you know what he told me? Oh, um. He was like, oh, well, the woman I was with, she didn't deserve, like, I never hit her. I only hit you because you deserved it. Like, he was telling me these things as I'm, I believe I was even pregnant with my daughter and he's telling me these things. And my best friend was like, oh, you better light that mother effer up. And I did. I remember I was on the phone giving him a piece of my mind because I was like, oh, you're not going to hurt my feelings. And I remember just telling him how I felt. And I remember like, like a weight was lifted because I told him everything and he was quiet. He took everything that I told him. I was like, you were a piece of shit. Like what you did to me, like all the abuse and everything. Like I just, I even forgot what I told him, but I know like I, I gave him a piece of my mind and I remember feeling proud of me. I remember even my best friend was proud of me. She was like, wow, like I'm proud of you. Cause you, you, you told them how you felt, you know, even though like after a while I had a guilty <laughs> conscience. Cause I'm like, maybe this is not what God wanted me to do, but still. This was just me. Well, I mean, I, I had to let I it go. I think you need to get everything out when you can. You know, a lot of people say, you know, if you keep things in, then it doesn't it doesn't help you. Like in order to get past something, that you kind of got to deal with everything that's kind of welling up inside. So eventually, you have to kind of address that. And if you ever get to, you know, face somebody like that, telling them something that's probably not not a bad thing as long as you can protect yourself and they don't come at you again um but but the whole idea of of thriving after trauma i mean your your success story with with you been able to you were able to get out of it like a lot of in your podcast you talk about where you speak for people who didn't get out of it um so about thriving after the trauma can you talk more about what things you did besides um you know doing um going to college and doing the podcast and maybe more talk more about the podcast because I'm interested in, um, you know, what you do with every episode for that. Yeah. So sure. So everything after like my abusive relationship, it was just, um, I know I needed to go to school. I got pregnant two years after. Um, so I was like, I need to, I need to be someone who my daughter is going to look up to. I need to be a, a role model. I was working in bars trying to win easy money. And I'm like, well, I'm pregnant. I need something sustainable. So I'm like, you know what? My daughter gave me that direction that I didn't have. And that was going to school. So going to school, I went to, I got an associates in criminal justice. And then I went to John Jay and got my BA criminal in criminology. And then, um, even then, like, I remember doing like, um, public service, like work, working in nonprofits, because I was always trying to help people, people with traumatic brain injuries, with OPWDDs, which is uh, people with developmental disabilities. I work for an agency. And I remember like all of this was giving me a purpose. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do this all of my life. Like I want to do something more. And I remember when the pandemic hit, I lost my job and I, I uh, worked for the DOE and I was like, which is the Department of Education. So I was like, let me see if teaching is something I want to do. And surprisingly, guys, teaching, I, I thrive in what's teaching and counseling. I feel like I thrive. Mm -hmm. And then um, I remember just starting a different path. And then um, don't get me wrong. I got into like shitty relationships after. And I was like, you know what, Eileen, you're in your 30s. You have no more excuses. Like, what are you going to do? And I'm a person that I self-reflect. So I'm like, okay, I need a therapist. 
So I remember mm-hmm. I was like, I want a therapist. And I was like, I also need spiritual healing. And I remember praying to God and I'm like, I need a therapist. And I remember I had a list of providers and his name came up. His name is Freddie Baez. And I was like, this is my guy. And let me tell you, like, I like during this, like, uh, recovery, um, I honestly can tell you guys, like there was, there's tools in, 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 in therapy that I didn't have. I was always a person that, um, I never really fully knew how to get my emotions out. And as a Latina, parents, they kind of, you kind of had to repress a lot of it because they're like, oh, you're so emotional. And let me, at least my family, they didn't believe in therapy. Okay. My family does not believe in therapy. They believe you're not broken. You're, you're not broken. And I'm like, no, I, I need this. So I remember doing the spiritual and having my therapist now for three years. And this is what the role looks like to healing and thriving and even surviving. Mm-hmm. And then my podcast is going to be now a year and um, now for uh, the 4th of July. And I remember I'm like, I, I want something better for my life. And this I was like, you're meant to, to help liberate people in bondages, right? You're supposed to talk about your story. Let it out. Let it out. And that's what this mic is here for. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just tell people that I'm a survivor. I'm here. And this is what it looks like. I'm I'm healthy. I've even started working out like um, 13 years ago, I, I was working out and these are things that I do to make myself feel and, and, and just heal yeah. from my abusive relationship. And God in my life, honestly, to me, like God has done amazing things in my life, honestly. And that's just why well, you're at. smiling a lot now. I see you smiling. So you see, that makes you, you can see you're happy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, podcasting for me has been a great thing. Yeah. It's opened up, you know, communication with people all over yeah. the world. And what I like about it is people can take a platform and they can really dive into mm-hmm. it in a, in a world where people get like a 30 second TikTok and they get the real and they get the short. The podcast allows you to dive yeah. into stuff in a world where people say that you can't do that. But we live in a world where I'm a musician. Where, you know, we have songs now, we can only do like two minute songs. We used to do songs that were like eight, nine minutes. And the podcast, what I liked about it, it's a long form uh, format where you can start to really know somebody. You know, like you only talk to somebody for like five, 10 minutes, you don't really know. But when you can do these hour long episodes or these long form episodes, you can really dive into a topic, dive into the guest, dive into the issue and tell a story. And I think that's what people like about it. Um, and for you, I mean, it, it probably opens up a lot of a lot of opportunities to like do what you're saying. You, you're a teacher. You're, you you want to you want to help people, and the podcast is like a, an immediate way you can get out on the web and yeah. and start to affect people right away. Exactly, it's a platform. Right. Um, I'm happy, you know, you have a platform and I'm happy you're an ally because you you definitely understand. Um, so like I I mean I'm grateful that you have me on your podcast, but podcasting, I've I've even like had challenges as well. Like it's podcasting is an amazing platform, but it's like sometimes like it's not even consistency, it's just my teaching at times, like I have to like, make sure that my students are not failing so many times, like the episodes that I think I want to air on Monday doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. once I remember there was like a whole month where I couldn't even release like an episode and I felt horrible. Cause I'm like, how do you do it? But then I'm like, you know what now, thank God we're on summer vacation. So I'm like, I have, I definitely have the time to get out there and podcast because you have an amazing audience. I, I feel like I have an obligation to my audience mm-hmm. to, to say, hey, this is me. This is my voice, you know, and you guys are going to listen to my amazing voice for like a whole hour, 30 minutes or whatever, you know, and sometimes I'm joking around and I try to make people's lives like really happy. I'm a positive person and I thrive on positivity. So I'm always like, hey, like if you guys are going to have a bad day, listen, just just listen to me. Like I have bad days, but guess what? I have to pick myself up at times and just be like, you know what? Today may be a bad day, but tomorrow is going to be an even better day. Tomorrow doesn't define my, you know, tomorrow, whatever happened yesterday does not happen today. You know, and that's how I just pick myself up and just a lot of 
husa and breathing, <laughs> you know, because to deal with people as a teacher, parents, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's 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 difficult. Well, I have, you know, it is podcasting is a, is, is a thing where but, consistency hey. is, is important, at least nowadays. Like when I first started in 2016, uh, the amount of shows I would do per week aren't anywhere near what I do now. It's just, the, you know, back in 2016, when I started, it was kind of new and, and it was just audio. It wasn't video. And, uh, you know, maybe I do two episodes a month or oh. four a month, it was, you know, but now sometimes they do five or six a week. And it's just because I, I've got to a place where, you know, my audience expects it and I actually get that much, that many people booked where, you know, it's actually starting to, you know, after you either yeah. start, it starts working or it doesn't work. And, and for me, it started to actually get to a rhythm, get to a, a way to get people in. And then there's now I have like, there's an expectation that I, I'm going to have at least four or five, six shows a week. And I'm kind of like, oh, wow, what if I don't want to do that? But I kind of like, I got I found a way to do it. But there is a, there's a point where like, sometimes like I have other things I have to do. You know, I have other things I do in my life. So I do have to kind of balance Oh. You know, I think everybody has to balance. Like if you, if you get to the point where like, if there's something really important, like, yeah, you do yeah. what you got to do and you hope the, the audience understands and you know, you, you know, usually they do. So you just deal with it. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like it even got to the point there would be like times where I'm like, you know what I'll do it Sundays and I would stay up all night. I'm like, I'm okay with staying up all night. I'm okay with like going on almost no sleep to work just to get this episode out. Cause I'm like, I, it was almost like a therapy session for me in a sense, like kind of like a healing, of course, not telling the stories. Cause they're obviously the stories that we tell. They're not like stories where you're like, man, like this is like a, this story has like so much light. Like, no, they're really yeah, dark yeah. stories. And thank God I have therapy for, for the most part, because I, I take on people's emotions and I can be overwhelmed and I'm like, man, this, this, this episode is heavy. Like there's just so much evilness in, in people mm -hmm. and you see yeah. that and you're like, when you thought that you saw like enough dose of evil, something else slaps you that you're like, oh my I God, this one. is more, even yeah. more deprived. Like, how, yeah. right. Like, how do you have people like this functioning in society? Like, how do they get away with things like that? And you just want to understand the individual. Yeah, but... the humanity, the, yeah. the criminality, suck, you know, the but... criminal mind, or the human, like the humanities, like inhumanity to humanity is it, a theme that you can get into. Like you know, criminology. I was a sociology major, and criminology is is a, is kind of a subset of that sociology. But you know, I focused on a, on a broader point. Yeah. But the whole idea. Of like, you know, people, there's always somebody that, that goes beyond what you thought was possible. There's always, there's always something that's like, wow. Cause you don't, you don't know what oh, yeah. people's like limits are and you think you do. And then you find out that certain people don't have certain limits. And, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to study, you know, what people do to understand like why, and maybe try to help prevent this from happening so that people can recognize it. And I think that's what the, you know, the, the, you know, being able to teach people stories or tell stories, even if they're hard, I think is important, you know, because people yeah. need to be able to recognize yeah. some patterns. And you know, if you actually show some pattern, maybe somebody will see something and they're like, oh, I'm actually inside something like that, <laughs> you know, and that's like, that's beneficiary to actually help somebody. Yeah. And they always have like new like theories, like developing, like I love sociology, like in sociology, criminology, like there's always new like theories emerging. And I feel like many times I feel like because many of us are processing the information forward. So a lot of therapists now they know like they can play around with some theories and, and come up like me. I had no idea what trauma bonding was at mm -hmm. all. And this was like a new thing that was introduced to me. Like my therapist introduced this to me and my healing. And, um, and I remember that I got like, um, the definition not to misquote, but, um, according to, uh, the sandstonecare.com, which these are like the stages and the way you can recover, but it's, um, it's a bond and it's an unhealthy one. And it's an attachment that develops from a cycle of physical and or like emotional trauma and is followed by positive reinforcement. And I was living this with Nathan. Mm -hmm. 
right? Because um, even though all these horrific things, right, they say the most, uh, they say the things that you want to hear. And in that moment, for some reason, you don't see this person as a monster. And it sounds crazy. I know it does. But to you, it's like, man, like he could be so sweet, so nice. Mm -hmm. Wow, look, he got me flowers. He's so caring because they show you this care, but it's a deception. It's a smoke and mirrors, but it's for you to forget, right? And forget about many the really times it's like, don't ever forget because you're not acknowledging your own trauma. Yeah, because you mentioned like the yeah. multiple horrendous things he did, yeah. but so then, like, then you'd have a moment where you're like, oh, he did yeah. this thing where he's sweet or he seems vulnerable or you seem seems okay or seems like some somebody you could work with and then suddenly you're on the floor and like you can't work with it. it's like what is this yeah. you're like you're getting attacked and then it's like so i think they kind of keeps right. you off guard right and in that it's right. keeping you off guard right it's kind of like the unpredictability yeah. of how yeah. they're gonna be you know that that's part of the whole trauma right yeah yeah, it's meant to confuse you. And it's like, you can only hold on to, to that, like, mo like in the moment, you know, whenever something good happens to you positive, you hold on to that feeling in the moment. And then like, when you're, when I'm on the floor thinking, man, like, he's abusing me in that moment, I'm thinking he's a monster, like, everything is like coming to me, like, I should leave this person, he's no, he's not good to me. Um, I should have been, you know, I should have been strong enough to leave, but it's just like, like I said, um, many times, um, I try to leave honestly. Um, but like I said, this was me never acknowledging my trauma and I was only 18 years old, yeah. but it really made me who I am. And this is the experience that I have. So now I've recognized like red flags. I'm like, Oh, I know what, what to look for. What's in, what's a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy relationship. Well, I think it's really positive that it's you there, eventually, you know, and you it's learn. real positive that you got to therapy. Like your family didn't believe in it. You didn't like, you know, really know how to process it because if you don't have family, think, you know, making you feel that that's a normal process, then you tend to think there's a lot of people who think, well, you know, a psychologist, oh, that's like, that's like what? That's not, that's like something that's not real. So you get a lot of people that, that will think because of their family, right. because of their spirituality, like I can solve it with my, my, my spiritual leader, I can solve it at church. I can solve it with my mom and my dad. I can solve it by not talking about it. Right. And, and they, they, they kind of like right. put it off. It's like, that's not, that's not real. That's not a real thing. And eventually, you know, you, 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 when you survive traumatic events, event, people end up looking for life coaches. They look for mentors. They look for, for therapists. They look for doctors to help them because they start to realize that whatever was not working, they're doing the same thing over and over. It's not going to fix it. They have to have to find some new path, right? Insanity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was like. That's how I like, um, that's what I say. I'm like, it's in, it's insanity. Like it's doing the same thing over and over again, you know, expecting different results. And it's like, that's what it was. And I, you know what? And there was times where I had to be kind to myself because I'm like, I'm done with punishing myself. Like, I'm done with telling me what I should have, could have, right? Because I can't change, like, what yeah. happened, but I can change now how I want my life to be. Yeah. So it's like, it can happen to all of us. Like, abusive relationships, they don't discriminate, guys. You can be the smartest cookie with a high IQ. You can be Albert Einstein. And let me tell you, it's not lost on you, like. It can happen, same sex. And and that was the fear, I believe, with the pandemic. It was, you know, being locked in a home with your abuser mm. and there's no help. Yeah, that's like a really dangerous thing yeah. during that time. I can't imagine it, being in a situation. Yeah, it must like have been that. really bad because we have a, a lot of situations was, where people yeah. were locked in and yeah. they couldn't really go to the shelter because the shelter was like not safe because of COVID, you know? So, so, the, so yeah. you, then you have this situation but I think what people got to understand, they, they, you do have to not beat yourself up and you do have to know like the past is the past, right? And don't punish yourself for the past, but, you know, go forward. You know, if, if, even if you like a lot of times if people are like, well, I made a mistake and now I can't yeah. recover. Like they, or they think they, they, you know, you, once you, everybody makes mistakes or everything's happened. And just because something didn't go right, doesn't mean you can't keep on trying. Doesn't mean because 
you're not able to get out of like an addictive thing Yeah, that you can't keep on trying to get out of it, right? That, that you don't have to just totally give up that you can, right, you can every exactly. day, you know, I'm like a cancer survivor. Right. So every day I got up post cancer to me was a win. Yeah. Right. The way I looked at it, I beat cancer. So every day I have, I'm here right. is oh. a win. And other people could look at, well, today is not the well, best that I'm depressed. Right. When it, you're a cancer survivor, like if you're still alive, that's a win every day. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh my God. Hell yeah. You attract positivity. I always believe like your mind is almost, it's a medicine. Like your mind can heal you. And many times it's like, I'm, I'm so happy you survived. Yay. Um, because there's a lot of people that don't survive and cancer is brutal, but I'm happy that you're here and I'm happy your outlook in life is awesome. Like that's the way to live. It's like, you know what? Like positivity, positive affirmations help me. And, um, I also meditate that helped me to meditation and positive affirmations every day. It can really help your like limited beliefs and, and really, really have you feel like really like be the best version of yourself doesn't matter what's going on doesn't matter if this person is being shitty to you guess what don't let this person be anything in your life other than that right you mm -hmm. you 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 don't ever let it hinder your progress you you move on right you move on and you continue because life continues and you're here we all have a purpose well, nobody can, can, yeah. and you have a yeah, purpose we gotta let people not this control podcast. your mind you know like once you realize that you can control your own mind yeah. You can control your body. You can control your heart and you know, like your soul kind of yeah. purpose. And you start to realize like, even though somebody told you like, you'll never end up amount to anything, right? Or you can't be a musician or you can't be an engineer. Or you can't do this. Then if you say, well, like, I don't care what they think. It's what I think that's important. Like, I feel like ah, I could be an engineer. Yeah. I could do this. I could do it. But if you, if you listen to what they said, yeah. you let that control you you don't have to let that control you. Yeah. you you can go and 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 keep on and just because you have steps on the path that you might slip a little bit doesn't mean that you can't get there and that's where a lot of people make mistakes they think oh i gotta start this whole diet all over again because i messed up you know but like well just keep on doing right. it right but right but at least you're starting yeah, you, do it. you right. just started yeah <laughs> it's almost like when you're in AA recovery yeah. Like, and I know it's hard. Like you're going to slip up, you know, like the, the thing is not to be perfect. Like perfection sucks. Like it's unrealistic to have those expectations. We're not perfect, but this is, it's just, we continue to fight every day and the fighter in you, I believe we're stronger than that. And, and whatever, don't even focus on what people tell you that you can't do. Focus on the people that support you, because let me tell you, when strangers support you, oh my God, it feels amazing. Even if family and friends don't, who cares? Focus on the ones that do support you and be grateful to them, you know, and just count your blessings. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest. We actually hit the hour mark and that's usually where we, we end up uh, finalizing it. But uh, we have had a great discussion. I want people to go to your, your website that we have below there. Uh, and that will be clickable when we're fully published. And if people go to your site, what can they find there? I'm sorry, repeat uh, the that? link we have for you that we're, we have on the screen right now, you're like the sites. Oh yeah. Yeah. What would people find there if they click it? Yeah. That's going to take them directly. Yeah. So they'll find my podcast on it. It's called MBP for murder, blood and psychopaths. And um, I talk about not only uh, my abusive uh, relationship, I do have a twin sister that also talks about it. And um, I would love for you guys to go on there and listen to our stories um, and just support us. And thank you so much for listening to us. And thank you so much. But that's what you guys would definitely find on that link. That's right. Below. Well, thank you again for being a guest on the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. I think it's great that... Um, that we, we get to hear your story because it's a story that, you know, maybe is hard to hear for some people, but people need to listen to things. They're all always like, you know, the things that make you comfortable. You know, sometimes you need to, to, you know, as, a, as an artist, I always find I have to put myself in an uncomfortable place to progress. And some people like to be in the comfort zone, but that's not kind of where I live. I yeah, have to go into places where it's not always comfortable, but that's, that's where you need, where you grow. Because if you just 
if you're just happy all the time, it's like if you're just stable and you're just doing the same thing, like, you know, eventually you find out you're really not happy because you got to challenge yourself. And I think it's good to to, to have different points of view and, and to hear yeah. everything that's out there. So I, I know this is a, is, a, is a heavy topic, but I think people should get into it. Yeah, I agree with you. There's conversations I had to get uncomfortable with, but it makes you have an open mind. And I'm like, you know what? I can see this person's view where they're coming from, you know? Because um, many times we only accept our like our like view to be the only one. And no, I love like hearing other people's view. I may not agree, but I can at least, uh, you know, I can respect your views. We can have different views. It's fine, you know? We're humans. Yes. Well, thank you again and have a great night. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we, we, uh, this again will be thank available you, everywhere but podcast or listen to. We're on multiple platforms, Apple, iHeartRadio, Amazon, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, this will be on Facebook and YouTube. It's been live. The permanent links will be available shortly. I'll get those right to you and we'll have a landing page for your fans to listen to all the different platforms we're on, like 14, 15 platforms. And we'll get that to you tomorrow, but uh, we'll get the Facebook and YouTube to you right now, um, post uh, publishing. So thank you for being on the show tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate